Well, two weeks ago when Amy kicked off the series on prayer, she began with some entertaining and uh, uh, honest prayers written by children. So let me give you a few more this week. The first is from a little girl named Jenny who said, please put another holiday between Christmas and Easter. There's nothing good in there right now. Or this one from Tim, dear God, I wish there was no such thing as sin. I wish there was not no such thing as war. Or from Denise, dear God, if we come back as something, please don't let me be Jennifer Horton because I hate her. (laughs) Or this one, I think it's on the cover of your program this morning. Dear God, please send Dennis Clark to another camp. That's from Peter, Trout Lake Camp. There you go. Um, Dear God, my brother is a rat. You should give him a tail. Ha ha. That's from Danny. And then this one, this actually comes from my daughter Hannah when she was eight years old. Dear God, for Christmas, I'd like my ears pierced, a puppy dog, and a baby girl from China. (laughs) But you know, children aren't the only ones who pray honest prayers. Here's a prayer from Tevya in Fiddler on the Roof. Lord who made the lion and the lamb, you decreed I should be what I am. Would it spoil some vast eternal plan if I were a wealthy man? Or one prayed by Martin Luther. He had a friend, an assistant who was of great help to him, who became sick. He was expected to die. He wrote Luther a loving farewell note. Luther received the letter and sent back an immediate reply. Here's what he said. I command you in the name of God to live because I still have need of you in the work of reforming the church. The Lord will never let me hear that you are dead, but will permit you to outlive me. For this I am praying, this is my will, and, my, and may my will be done, because I seek only to glorify the name of God. By the way, when Luther's letter arrived, his friend had already lost his ability to speak, but he recovered completely, lived six more years, and outlived Luther by two months. Or something much more poignant, more serious, a prayer of a young woman in a church. This particular church had a a tradition of inviting people who were part of the congregation that morning to stand and pray their own prayers. And that week she stood with tears streaming down her face and prayed a startling prayer. God, I hated you after the rape. How could you let this happen to me? And I hated the people in this church who tried to comfort me. I didn't want comfort. I wanted revenge. I thank you, God, that you didn't give up on me and neither did these people. You kept after me, and I come back to you asking you to heal the scars in my soul. Or even my own prayers. The wife of a friend of mine left him and initiated a bitter divorce. He's a good man. I've known him for over 30 years. What she did was selfish and mean and totally unjustified. She slandered him and turned at least one of his children against him and nearly bankrupted him in the process. And I have prayed that her deception would be revealed, that her sin would be punished, that she might see clearly what she's done, and that one day God would restore both his children to him. Now, some of you grew up in church, and I know some of you didn't, but those of you who grew up in church may have been given the impression that prayer is all about being nice with God. When I was young, I remember grown-ups praying some flowery prayers with these and thous and almighty this and your many blessings that. And I got the idea that prayer was supposed to be really nice and eloquent. When I was in high school, I started to pray my own prayers. And sometimes when I prayed, things weren't going so well, and I struggled with what I was to say. How could I thank God for his many blessings when, from my vantage point anyway, life kind of sucked? By then, I was reading the Bible regularly, and I'd graduated from reading the New Testament to reading some of the Old Testament, and I'd stumbled onto the Psalms, and I was a little embarrassed by what I read. I think at first I ignored it, but eventually I couldn't. 
They simply weren't very polite. Let me read some from Psalm 44, and I'll read it from the message, a paraphrase that is a little more blunt than maybe some other translations. We've been hearing about this, God, all our lives. Our fathers told us the stories their fathers told them, how single-handedly you weeded out the godless and sent those people packing but gave us a fresh start. But now you've walked off and left us. You've disgraced us and won't fight for us. You've made us turn tail and run. Those who hate us have cleared us, cleaned us out. You made people on the street, urchins, poke fun and call us names. You've made us a joke among the godless. Every day I'm up against it. My nose rubbed into my shame. Gossip and ridicule fill the air, and we've done nothing to deserve it. But you decided to make us martyrs, lambs assigned for sacrifice each day. Get up, God. Are you going to sleep all day? Wake up. Don't you care about what happens to us? Get up and come to our rescue. If you love us so much, help us. Ouch. It's not very nice, is it? And it's in the Bible. Eventually, I got the message that it was okay to be honest with God when we pray. In fact, really, anything else is silly. Why would you lie to God? After all, if God really does know it all, who are we kidding? We need to be honest with ourselves and honest with God. So rather than dishonest prayer, there's an example of that. One time Jesus was in the temple and he heard someone pray this, Oh Lord, thank you that I'm not like other people. And then he heard someone else who prayed this, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. And Jesus criticized one and praised the other. Now we can pretend in our conversations with one another and we can fool maybe most of the people most of the time. But we can't fool God when we clean up our prayers. Now, I realize some of what we're trying to do is to protect God's reputation. Or we're afraid that if we get angry and mad at God, that he'll get angry and mad at us in return. So instead, we pretend to be religious when inside we're this seething mass of emotions just barely contained below the surface. But what if we've had it all wrong? What if instead of asking us to play nice, God invites us to be honest in our prayers? I've been in a lot of church services in my life, and in recent years, I've been to church services where they have a worship band and a worship leader up there, and suddenly, he or she will start praying and say something like this, Lord, we just, and I don't know why they use just all the time, but they do, just let us leave behind the cares of this world and come here just today to worship you. And I want to yell, no, the reason I'm here is because of the cares of the world. It's because of the cares of my life, and not just that. I don't want to leave all of that behind. That's why I'm here. That's why I bring these things. But we still struggle with being honest. It can feel so disrespectful to be honest with God, especially when we know that we're a jumbling mass of mixed emotions. That's why what C.S. Lewis wrote is helpful. He says, lay before him what is in us, not what we think ought to be in us. Or there's a related problem. There are the times when we simply don't have it together. About once a year, someone will tell to me, I really ought to start going to church, but I kind of need to clean up my act. Um, and they say, or maybe I'll need to clean up my act before I start praying or serving others. And, and I want to say, you know, that's the whole point. Anne Lamont says, we show up in miserable shape in order to get it all together. And that includes the way we start learning to pray. In fact, we really ought to use every problem, every difficulty, every trial, every bit of anger that we have as an opportunity and an invitation to pray. Now, part of the problem is we're not really clear on what prayer is. Prayer isn't about being religious, whatever that might mean. 
Above all, prayer is about a relationship, a friendship with God. So prayer is nothing more than a conversation. Now, of course, our dialogue partner in all this is the God of the universe, and I think that's what sometimes trips us up. It makes us self-conscious and way too concerned with the possibility of offending him. So how is it that we can learn to be honest to God in our prayers? Let me just suggest that, first of all, the Bible gives us permission. Not just Psalm 44, but dozens of places in the Bible, we find people being brutally honest with God. And it's not just in the Psalms. One time a man came to Jesus. This is in Mark chapter 9. And his son was sick. He brought him first to the disciples. They couldn't do anything about it. So he ended up bringing this boy to Jesus. And the man said to Jesus, if you can do anything, please do. And Jesus said, if, and you can almost imagine him saying it sarcastically, if I can do anything, everything is possible for the one who believes, he said. And at that point, the boy's father simply said, I do believe. Help me in my unbelief. And Jesus healed the boy's son, the man's son. In prayer, we're to start right where our hearts are, not where we think they ought to be. That means to pray when we're stressed and overwhelmed, when you're sad or frightened or face important decisions when you need strength or face an insurmountable problem, when you're anxious or worried about someone who's close to you, in all things you're to be honest, honest about your hurts, sorrows, pains, disappointments, even your anger, your dreams, your frustrations, your grief, and your pain, to pray when you're bitter or broken as much as when you're full of happiness and joy. So what are some examples of honest prayer, honest prayers that we're to pray? And I wanna suggest there are five. This is not an exhaustive list, just five I've chosen for this morning. And the first is honest prayer when we have our doubts. Now, there are a number of examples of this in the Bible. People like Elijah and Jeremiah, and the New Testament, Thomas and John the Baptist. But perhaps the most surprising example is from a prayer prayed by Jesus himself. Matthew tells us that when Jesus was on the cross, that at about three in the afternoon, Jesus cried out in a loud voice and says, Eli, Eli, lama sabachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If anyone not named Jesus had prayed this prayer, we might have stopped and corrected them. We might have said, don't you know that God's promised to never leave you nor forsake you? Yet Jesus comes right out using the words of Psalm 22 and tells God what he's feeling. A second example is honest prayer when we're angry at others and want revenge. These are the sort of prayers that we pray when we've been treated unjustly. By the way, when, this is when somebody's cheated us, slandered us, hurt us, abandoned us. Whatever the reason, we get so angry that we um, think about the other person and we wonder if they can just get it. You know, just some way that they can get what they deserve. Doesn't seem very Christian, does it? But I want you to listen to the words of Psalm 35. May those who seek my life be disgraced and put to shame. May those who plot my ruin be turned back in dismay. May they be like chaff before the wind with the angel of the Lord driving them away. May their path be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. Now the good in praying like this is that it shows our anger at injustice shows that we really care about right and wrong and God does too. But we have to be careful. It's very easy for us to want to take action on our own, to kind of put things in our own hands. And what the writer of Psalm 35 does is put things in God's hands. He has no problem being honest with God, but he knows that it's important to ask God to be the one who brings justice. Why is that so important? Because otherwise, we might do something rash. Here's an idea I read about this week. It's called the God Box, and it works like this. When you're angry, write down the name of the person that you're angry with, and whether you do this literally or metaphorically, put it in the God Box and say this. 
God, if you think you're so big, then deal with this. I have a few ideas on how best to proceed, but I might also make some mistakes, even sin against you. So I promise to keep my sticky mitts off this until I hear back from you. What that does is acknowledges the way we feel and also acknowledges that if we tried to deal with it, we'd probably mess it up. In order to turn things over to God, it puts him, not us, on the hook. And that's what God invites us to do with the things that we face. And then we can stop trying to figure it out. By the way, I think that God box idea works with a lot of prayers that we, we may have. With a situation that's troubling us, with the name of a friend we're concerned about, whatever it is in our lives, we can write it down and literally or metaphorically put it in a box and trust God with it. A third kind of honest prayer is one that's probably the most troubling to us to pray, and that is when we're mad at God. Because we're not supposed to get mad at God, right? And yet we do. There are times when things just don't work out the way they're supposed to. Cancer, a prodigal child, it could be anything. Anything happens to us when there's no one to blame except God, and we're mad. Some of you may know the story of Job. Job was really the definition of the teacher's pet. God even told Satan, this is one guy who has it all together. And Satan called God's bluff. He says, the only reason Job's such a great guy is because you blessed him so much. You protected him. If anything bad happens to him, he'll turn on you. And in less than a week, with God's permission, Job's wealth was wiped out. His kids were killed. He got a painful and unsightly skin disease. As a result, his wife suggested suicide. His friends insisted and accused him of all sorts of misbehavior. And Job told God he wished he'd never been born. Here's the way Job put it in Job chapter 30. I cry out to you, God, but you do not answer me. I stand up, but you merely look at me. You turn on me ruthlessly. With the might of your hand, you attack me. You snatch me up and drive me before the wind. You toss me about in the storm. When I hoped for good, evil came. When I looked for light, then came darkness. The churning inside me never stops. Days of suffering confront me. And then graphically, he says, my skin grows black and peels. My body burns with fever. My lyre, that's like a guitar, is tuned to mourning. And my pipe to the sound of wailing. Another example of honest prayer is honest prayer when we don't want to do what God is asking us to do. Now, I don't know about you. I don't get mad at God very often. I generally don't want to call down fire on my enemies. But there are many times when I don't really want to do what God wants me to do. And sometimes it has to do with a moral value that I really don't want to, you know, I know what God expects of me, but I don't really want to do it. But other times, it's just something that God is asking me to do. Maybe it's confronting somebody about something, maybe even sin. And I'd rather let it slide. Whatever it is, I know I don't want to do what God is asking me to do. So you might say, well, is there an example of that in the Bible? Yeah, there is. And the example is another from the life of Jesus. And it takes place just, after his, just before his arrest in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus is deep in prayer, and he tells God this in Luke twenty-two forty-two: Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Yet not my will but your will be done. It's an amazing prayer. And it's one we can pray to. A few years ago, I read a book and it had a kind of a modified and a version of this prayer and I've modified it since then. But it's a prayer that I pray every month, probably pray every month or two. Lord, I know what you want me to do and I don't want to do it. I give you full permission to change the way I feel and think about this. But in the meantime, I will obey despite how I feel. 
By the way, just a quick aside here about feelings. You might say, well, are feelings, are feelings important in all of this? And I would say yes, but they're not of ultimate value, not of ultimate importance. Part of being honest with God in prayer is to acknowledge our feelings, not to stuff them. But we can't trust them because our feelings lie. Our feelings can deceive. They're at the mercy of our glands and the weather and all sorts of experiences and circumstances in our lives. So while they must be acknowledged, they cannot rule us. They're simply not reliable. They can't be the sole content of our prayers. So as long as you know that, go ahead and pray your feelings, but remember that they don't tell us all that we need to know about the world or about the quality of our life with God. Now, I have one final example of honest prayer, and it's probably the most difficult for us to pray. In some ways, it's comparatively easy to get mad at God or some schmuck who's messed our lives up, but it's much more difficult when we're the ones who've screwed up. And this is honest prayer when we have failed. And I know you maybe didn't see this coming because often when we talk about honest prayer, we're talking about the kinds of things that make us angry with God. The times when we were disappointed or any number of other reasons, um, and we try to pray without offending God, and we need permission to do that. But there are other times when it's we who've fallen short, not God, not someone else, when we've messed things up, when we sin or do the exact opposite of what we know God wants us to do. And we do it all the time. And we're really fooling no one when we simply are not honest about our sins. It's hard to do. In fact, we will do almost anything in our lives than acknowledge that we've messed things up. One of the most unseemly stories in the Bible is about a king who had an affair with a beautiful married woman. Much to his dismay, she became pregnant. And because her husband was a military officer and was away on assignment, they couldn't attribute the pregnancy to him. So the king, King David, devised a cover-up. Plan A didn't work, so they came up with plan B. And plan B resulted in the murder of the pregnant woman's husband. Now, you may know who this person is. It's King David. It's a horrible story of sexual assault and an abuse of power. And for months, David kept his mouth shut. He didn't acknowledge what he'd done to God. When he prayed, he acted as if if nothing had happened. That is until Nathan, one of Israel's religious leaders, confronted him with what he had done. Tradition says that Psalm 51 was written by David after Nathan confronted him. Here's some selected verses. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgression. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sin and blot out all my iniquity. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Many Christians through the centuries have thought about this kind of prayer, prayers about confession. Um, And they've added uh, a little bit to that that I think is very helpful. Sometimes they're called prayers of examination. And what they are is an invitation to God to help us see both our strengths and our weaknesses, our giftedness and our brokenness, but also our duplicity, our lust, our narcissism, our laziness, whatever sin you want to imagine. And an example of this is found in Psalm 139, the last two verses, verses 23 and 24, which say, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. 
See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. So how are we to pray? Well, let's just start with the conversation that's already going on in our heads, with the things on our hearts, with the hurts and disappointments and feelings of shame that are already circulating in our souls, and tell God what's on our minds. The goal isn't to get good at prayer, whatever that is. It's not to spend the longest amount of time that you can in in prayer. It's not to try to pray the most eloquent prayer. It's just to pray honestly to God, to tell him what you need to tell him, and talk to him the way you talk to a friend. To pray to one who gets us and cares about us. So go to him in your helplessness, in your inadequacy, your anger, and tell him about it, and put your trust in him. And by the way, we can pray even without words. Sometimes we don't even know what to say. One of the most comforting verses is Paul's words in Romans 8.26 when he tells us that when we don't know what to say, either because we're confused or distressed or ashamed or angry, he says the Holy Spirit will translate your groans and utterings, your wordless groans, into beautiful prayers. Now, I have chosen to believe in God and bet my entire existence on a God that I can't see, touch, feel, or prove. Now, I don't believe I've done that mindlessly, because I believe Christian faith offers the best, most comprehensive explanation of human reality that there is. But ultimately, it does come down to faith. And I know that others have not chosen that. But my experience of prayer is one of the strongest affirmations of my faith that I've ever had. Dozens, if not hundreds of times, I've seen things take place as a result of prayer that I'm convinced would not have happened if I had not prayed. This week I read the story of a hospice chaplain who came to see a patient who was in great emotional distress. He was in the last stages of cancer and that morning was feeling very guilty because he had spent the previous night ranting and raving and swearing at God. He felt awful. He imagined that his chances of eternal life were gone, were lost forever, and that God would never forgive one who had cursed and abused him. The chaplain asked the patient, what do you think is the opposite of love? The man said, hate. And the chaplain said, no, it's not. It's indifference. You have not been indifferent to God, or you would never have spent the night talking to him, honestly telling him what was on your heart and mind. Do you know what the Christian word that describes what you've been doing? The word is prayer. You spent the night praying. Let's not be indifferent. Let's not imagine that we can please God when we pray by shading the truth. Let's be honest when we pray and experience the joy and comfort and peace that comes when God meets us in our darkest days. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you, thank you, thank you that we can be honest with you. Thank you for all the examples in the Bible and in life of people who have been honest with you, brutally honest with you when they have prayed. Thank you, Father, that you're not offended when we're angry, when we're disappointed, when our dreams feel crushed, that you listen, that you listen with compassion and kindness and patience. Father, help us also, even in those times, to understand that you are faithful to us, maybe not in quite the ways that we have always expected, but you are, that you can be trusted, and we can be honest with you. Meet us in those moments, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.